You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to Tea Break Time Travel, where every month we look at a different archaeological object and take you on a journey into their past. And welcome to episode two of Tea Break Time Travel. I'm your host, Matilda Siebrecht, and today I am savouring a fruity number, a strawberry and kiwi fruit tea. Joining me on my tea break today is Ashley Airy, archaeologist and owner of Ashwood Candles. What are you drinking today, Ash? Um, well, I have a bit of a confession for you. I don't drink tea. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's such an awkward thing. Every single time I go to someone's house, I'm so sorry, I don't drink tea or coffee and they don't know what no to do. No coffee either. Oh, no, man, no coffee either. I know, I know. I've but is there a reason? A- like, is is it just... Is it because there's so many different flavors? I'm now going to. I'm sorry, by the way, no judgment at all if for people who listen who don't drink tea. It's fine. It's fine. It's I, fine. You know, Except your life choices. But, <laughs> <laughs> but is it like just because I'm just thinking there's so many different, you know, like today I'm drinking strawberry and kiwi fruit tea. Like it's more like a oh. hot juice, really, than anything else. Like is it is it all teas or is it the hotness? Or yeah, it's pretty much all hot beverages I, I, I feel like I'm a toddler still like I can't quite regulate my own body temperature so if I drink something that's warm I just get too hot Interesting. and I can deal with it yeah I really want to deal with it what about um, then uh, iced tea iced tea I could do some iced tea it has to have a lot of sugar in it though I'm a bit of a sugar fiend but yeah tea teas are no, no go for me unfortunately which is always really difficult when you're traveling in the highlands because everyone wants to offer you tea True. and then they go okay well what about coffee and you go oh no no coffee thank you <laughs> and that happened you know when I first met my partner's family and eventually I ended up having a um, bit of vodka because I just thought well what what else is coming <laughs> I need to say yeah, I like that. tea coffee vodka <laughs> yeah it pretty much <laughs> went tea coffee milk juice water well she doesn't like water his granny so that was a no-go uh, if I said water it was just absolute no um, oh, so yeah. yeah eventually vodka came up and I was like I need to say yes because it's going to get stronger and I need to drink now <laughs> so it's very nice <laughs> oh, and I assume cold vodka not hot vodka that would have no, sucked, no. right? If they were like yeah, vodka and then they warm it up for you and do it like a hot toddy. <laughs> yeah. Was it like a biscuit or something? Yeah, yeah it wouldn't exactly. have been nice. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, interesting. <laughs> no, but I do know the feeling because, for example, I never used to like just black tea. Or if I did, then I'd have it like with a lot of sugar or something. And then whenever you go, yeah, indeed, traveling or anything, and everyone always has like black tea as the sort of standard. Mm-hmm. And then in the UK, they also give it to you with milk, which I never drank mine with milk. And I was always like, oh, sorry, I don't know. But actually, recently, I've tried it with milk and I really like it now. So now I ah. always have every morning some black tea with milk, which, uh, yeah, part of me is going, oh, God. And then the British uh, <laughs> the British ancestry in me is going, uh, oh, well done, well done. But I so, think so, it uh, could be exiled so. or something for not <laughs> drinking tea in Britain. I think it is... <laughs> It's not great. <laughs> there is a great, I can't remember what it is. It's some like little cartoon. I had it for ages as my like cover on Facebook or something, which is like anarchy in the UK. Do you want a cup of tea? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. Absolute chaos in a bundle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all the great, it's like the 99 British problems thing, that Twitter account. And one of them's like, oh, do you drink tea? Oh, I'm sorry, I don't drink tea. I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm always worried in case that does actually happen to me. <laughs> But so uh, you're based in the UK. Whereabouts uh, are you coming from uh, at the moment as you speak? Like where, um, where are you Just based? outside of Glasgow at the moment. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you're also from there originally? or are you... No, I'm from Newcastle in the north oh. of England originally. And I moved to Glasgow about a decade ago now. So probably like a little bit, probably like nine years, yeah, um, for university. And then I just stayed here, just never okay. left. <laughs> yeah, well, it is as, a, as someone... Born in Scotland, I can say I can understand why. Yeah, <laughs> why yeah. we love Scotland. But uh, <laughs> and so at uni, you studied archaeology. 
Yeah, I did a joint uh, degree. So I did archaeology and history. And then I stayed uh, at Glasgow Uni for my master's as well, which oh, I did really? in artifacts, well, material culture and artifact studies. And yeah, I just stayed and continued on. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Mm-hmm. But then I, because yeah, funnily enough, I also did material, well, my master's was, yeah, archaeological science, but material culture studies, like as the as yeah. aspect of it with, mm-hmm. with that kind of thing. What was your, out of curiosity, what was your uh, final thesis uh, topic? Um, mine was on the pottery in Iona. Um, oh. So medieval pottery of Iona, yeah. And mm-hmm. I also did uh, independent research. So it was split in a different way. So you could do a independent research project and you could do a like a internship as well. Okay. So I went to a commercial unit for that. And then you did a bit of a thesis thesis as well on um, whatever you fancied. So mine was Iona. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, you, because um, you said you do commercial stuff as well. Mm-hmm. I know that, I mean, I really love doing the artifact studies and the because ma- I have to say, I like field work. I'm happy to do it every so often, <laughs> yeah. but I am definitely one of those people who much prefer to be in the nice, dry, warm lab um, <laughs> post yeah. excavation. Are you similar or did you like the, do you like the field work aspect? Well, no, I was a, I was a commercial archaeologist. I was a supervisor for um, three years. So I was a project archaeologist and then I went on to be a supervisor in okay. Scotland. So yeah, okay. I, I liked field work um, a lot. Um, but I also did like the lab work and finds work as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too, it's sort of whenever anyone, but you know, so many of our colleagues love field work, right? I mean, you just said you really like field work as well. Yeah. So I always think I'm not stealing, you know, people's, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily like need to spend my whole life getting no. up at 5 a.m. to go out into a buddy field. So, no, definitely not. Do you don't have to. You don't have to at all. Like, if there's another option, I'm sure a lot of people would take it. But I think yeah. that's the best thing about archaeology is that there's so many different aspects of it that you can go into. Yes. That it's, it's, it's quite a lot of free, there's a lot of free reign in it. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I'm not saying, by the way, if any you know potential future employers listening in, I'm not saying I don't like work because <laughs> I do do feel like that. But you know, <laughs> I'll I'll do the postex, the postex stuff. Um, but yeah, so okay, so you you studied archaeology, continued then mm-hmm. doing commercial archaeology. How did the candles start? Um, so that started when the pandemic started. Really, um, I had a big, oh, really? um, yeah. So I had a real difficulty with my mental health um, during that time, that period, and there was a lot of stuff going on in my personal life as well. Mm-hmm. And my employers at the time were really understanding about it, mm-hmm. and I felt like I couldn't continue in commercial. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be away from my family for too long, um, which was the best decision in the end. And I needed something to kind of channel my anxiety into. And I was, if someone suggested candles and I'd always wanted to make them. And mm. I thought, gosh, why not? Might as well. Yeah. So I tried and I did it. And then, you know, it took a lot of work to try and get to where we are now. And it's a whole new skill. So yeah, it just started with the pandemic. And, and I think that's, that's the story of a lot of candle makers, actually. So they start in the pandemic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that, yeah, that's how it sort of, changed and and I thought well I want to visit all these sites but I can't because I'm stuck in my house and you know there's a big bad virus out there so hmm. why don't I try and make sense that fit the sites I've been oh. to and and that I love and try and sell them to everyone else yeah, um, so yeah. they can experience it yeah I mean it's so cool how you managed to we'll talk about that a bit more and I'm just thinking I've got my oculogist desk candle next to me and I mean <laughs> the other ones as well which one do I have upstairs now I can't remember I switched switch them around occasionally but it is so cool how you managed to get all those scents you know they work so well and some of them are almost you smell them and you're like oh I, it's not I have to admit some of them I smell and I'm like oh I wouldn't necessarily use this as like a a candle to make my room smell nice but when I smell it I do smell the sights like is it, you know you, yeah. it gives it gives you the feeling like it's sort of a, a different kind of smell if that makes sense yeah <laughs> I, for me I really like earthy smells I think that's my mm. go-to I really like herbal and woods and that's what I was trying to choose and I think that's probably the scent that would have been quite prevalent in, in history and prehistory too and usually a yeah. lot of my sites that I choose are prehistoric sites and um, huh. I'm just drawn to that. I need to sort of move away from it. I think I, think I might have overdone them a bit. Um, oh, never but I do love them. Well, no, currently I have Brodgate and Stonehenge right in front of me. So, oh, so 
Yeah. <laughs> I was eyeing up the Stonehenge one. I might have to order that on my next time over. <laughs> yeah, well, it's different from the one in the British Museum, which is great. Oh, okay. Yeah, this one is re- more reflective of its Neolithic and Bronze Age, while the scent that's in the British Museum is reflective of its whole period um, oh. from the Mesolithic timber hole. So that's the, the kind of oak and hazelnuts. Uh-huh. And then until it, the big icon that it is today, that's kind of what they wanted. So that's what I tried to produce. Very cool. Oh, that must have been so exciting when they asked you. For those who are wondering what we're talking about, by the way. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, <laughs> we were talking about this a little bit before, before we started recording. But <laughs> so people who don't know, uh, well, maybe you want to say, Ash. Oh, uh, yeah. No, we are a supplier to the British Museum for the World uh-huh. of Stonehenge exhibition, which has been great. Yeah. So fancy, so cool. It must be, oh, it must be so exciting. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to going and seeing the uh, the exhibit at some point when I can get down there. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. But so prehistory is always where you would sort of focus on. Like for example, if you could travel back in time, or mm. I guess feel forward in time. But you know, I'm assuming as an archaeologist, we'll probably want to go back. In time. <laughs> where would you go? Like what time period or where and and why? You know, I get this, I, people ask me this all the time. I think it's just like that question that people ask archaeologists. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, yeah oh gosh. <laughs> when, when did you decide you wanted to create buildings? Oh, yes! Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> this woman was talking to me for ages about like, oh, there was this really nice little and she was telling, describing all these really lovely buildings in this town and I didn't want to interrupt her and be like, you know, that's architecture. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, but it's not the same thing. It's not me. <laughs> anyway, sorry, yes. Yeah, no, I've thought about this a lot. And I think it would have to be somewhere where that was fairly equal. But in society, uh, I think it would be absolutely suck to go back in time and then end up not being as a equal as society, even as even though it's unequal today. But mm-hmm. I, I'm that saying, if I could go in like a bubble and watch, right? And yes, have, yes. You know, be accused of being a witch or something like that. <laughs> then um, I think I would probably have to go, I'd love to go back to the Mesolithic. I'd love mm-hmm. to see Doggerland, even or star car you know those sites that you think about today and you think wow and i'd love to see how they had their hair how they spoke what their names were stuff like that i think i'd love to go to the mesolithic either that or i'd go back to iron age britain and maybe go see Boudicca, maybe have oh, a hand yeah oh <laughs> yeah. that's so cool it is funny how they're so you sort of they're always lumped together in like sort of popular literature and stuff as like prehistory or like the stone age but then mm. yeah like the mesolithic and the neolithic are so different in, very yeah very different uh, yeah. yeah like the, i have to say the mesolithic to me is almost too distant if that makes sense like i, yeah. I don't know mm. it's sort of it, which is really intriguing but then i guess to me it's the, the sort of yeah i don't know it's sort of it's a weird time period for me i don't know why I, it is a strange, I think it's because we don't know a lot about it. I mean, we know yeah. uh, like lithic scatters, we know maybe a bit of settlement patterns and stuff, but we don't know a lot. Like we don't know their language or what their yeah. language was or how they interacted as groups, their structures. You know, you can kind of start to understand that in the Neolithic because you have farming and and mm. that change and people are settling down and in, 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 the, in the landscape, but, you know, for in the Mesolithic, you've got people moving around a lot, and and I think we don't quite understand fully the ex, like the extent of how much they travelled, mm. um, and how much that was part of their everyday life cycles as well. Yeah. So it's really interesting. I always find it fascinating. I'd love to go back and just see what it was like. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Although it's also that thing. Someone was asking me this the other day, like, oh, but would you time travel if you could? And actually, part of, part of me was like, hell yes. Um, but then part of me was like, actually, I don't know. Because one of the things that I really love about archaeology is that it is kind of so unknown, really. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. what exactly happened? There's a lot of questions. And I think you'd sort of, it would be kind of rubbish, wouldn't it? When If you go, oh, well, actually, I, what I thought was actually a bit cooler than yeah. what was real. <laughs> yeah. That would be rubbish. Oh, this is really boring. Oh, it was a to Oh, great. <laughs> I thought it was ma- ma- like matrilineal power and yeah. so cool. <laughs> but, oh, God, it's just a guy. It's just a white guy again. Oh, my God. <laughs> that would be really, really upsetting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think you're right. There is something quite distant about the Mesolithic and even the Paleolithic in, in Europe. I think it yeah. feels very, very, it is very, very far away. 
Yeah, um, right. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I reading the other day? Oh, that um, Kindred, uh, you know, the book, the oh, Neanderthal yeah. book. And I've started reading yeah, it. I've got to read that. Excellent work, Becky, by the way, if you're listening. I, don't, I doubt she's listening to this, but you never know. Um, <laughs> you never know. You never know. It's, it's, it's so good. I really like it. And it is funny, like she was saying, oh, you know, if you think about like the whole of human time span that we've been alive, you know, millions of years we've been alive. And yet mm-hmm. the last couple of thousand, you know, are actually then just a small blip, you know, little, what's the word? I'm saying blick because that's German, but I can't remember what it's uh, like a snapshot of time. Snapshot, a that's blip the one. Of time. Oh, yes. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah. English mother's going to be here. <laughs> I've been living here too long. Um, but uh, yeah, the, and, but yet, like you say, like even the Mesolithic, which is relatively recent in, the, in terms of human history compared to like the Paleolithic and even, you know, before then. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like previous human species. But anyway. Anyway. I would be mad. It would be mad. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much, anyway, for joining me on my tea break today. Oh. And we are here to look at a particular object type. And most of you have probably guessed mm. what the object is before we go into detail. Let's first journey back, speaking of time travel, nearly 3,300 years to ancient Egypt, and specifically the city of Amarna, although back then it was known as Akhetaten. It was a hot day, but the night is now drawing in. It's finally getting cooler. The shadows from the surrounding cliffs are lengthening over the tops of the whitewashed mud brick buildings. A breeze wafts the scent of the Nile across the street towards you, and you shiver as you enter your house. It's dark inside, so your fingers fumble in the darkness, and after a few moments, there's the faint hiss of ignition, and a soft golden glow illuminates the room. The light comes from a flickering flame burning through a wick made from twisted reeds encased in tallow. Of course, this is a candle. <laughs> and the <laughs> earliest written evidence of what we would consider as modern candles comes from this site, and that's what we're looking at today. So we'll get into the details of the history of these objects soon, but first, I thought it might be fun to look at the most asked questions on the internet about candles, courtesy of Google Search and Autofill. Uh, so I basically just typed in, are candles and what are candles, and saw <laughs> what came up. And so the first question is, are candles bad for you? What would you say to this, Ash? Oh, gosh. You know, you've hit on some real big topics in candle making, almost accidentally. But um, <laughs> I think candles, I mean, you're burning them, right? So uh, you're going to be releasing toxins and potentially carbon into, well, definitely carbon into the atmosphere. So I think it's uh, really candles when you're looking at them. And then if you're a purchaser and if you're a maker, you have to really be have one key thing in mind and that is how moderation and sustainability for example you kind of need to look at three things and this is why i decided to break that break it down into okay you need to look at the type of wax you're using the type Mm -hmm. of wick and the materials that the candle makers using to make the candle so it could be it's a pillar candle or it could be tins and glass okay because essentially what's going to happen is if you get something from your local shop, right, mm-hmm. which is usually made out of paraffin, well, oh. when paraffin burns, it can contain a number of carcinogens, and so it is it's unsustainable because it's a byproduct of crude oil. Okay, so oh, yes. yeah, mm-hmm. so it's going to release toxins anyway. The type of fragrance that you're using as well that can release mm-hmm. toxins into the environment. So it has to be in moderation. I think that's pretty much the answer for that, if they're bad for you or not. They're neither good nor bad for you. They're just candles. So you have to, <laughs> you know, you have to decide how yeah. much to use them and when you're going to use them. Mm. And I guess that sort of partly answers the second one that came up as well, which was, are candles bad for the environment? Yeah, so I think it, it kind of does, actually. Yeah. Candles can be okay they uh, i can say anything can be bad for the environment i was about to say i mean everything mm-hmm. that we do nowadays technically is bad for the environment I yeah suppose. it's like it's like kind of deciding what car you should drive if you right. should go electric diesel or petrol it's kind of the same for candles yeah. in very layman's terms um like so for me making candles i wanted to do it in the best way i possibly could i wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that i wasn't going to impact the environment too much so i use soy wax it's a plant-based okay. wax. It's mm-hmm. biodegradable. Mm-hmm. And I make sure that I choose non-GMO uh, soy mm. wax. Okay. Mm. The, probably the best wax that you could get to make a candle out of is beeswax. Mm. But you'd have to get it that's ethically sourced. Yes. And the beeswax. Yeah. 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 Okay. And because the soy and beeswax are clean burning, they're not going to give you the same um, issues that paraffin has. Mm. 
uh-huh. where you know if you burn it it's got it's going to release toxins uh-huh. so yeah it, it can be bad for the environment but again it's it's all about moderation and what you're giving back to that environment too i know well, so you just mentioned the the a couple of different materials because the next question was what are candles made made from so yeah. i guess the paraffin would be the commercial ones and then there was soy beeswax are there what are the wicks made from generally uh, they can be made from hemp or cotton they okay. can also have a kind of layering of them of wax which could be paraffin so you have to be careful about what wa- uh, wicks you're actually going to choose <gasps> they can release certain wicks are self-trimming so modern wicks are self-trimming or self-consuming <laughs> which just means that when you burn them they sort of start to limp and bend over Mm. And that will be consumed by the flame. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. So they, that came about later on in industrialization. You kind of got those self-trimming wicks. Mm. You can also get wood wicks as well. And so there's a oh. lot of questions about the materials that you're using. You really need to look into it as a candle maker to make sure that you're, you are making the best decisions for the environment mm. and also giving back to that environment. So, you know, trying to use biodegradable materials in your packaging Uh, glass and tins which can be reused or recycled and obviously tins can be there's a bit of a debate about tins because a lot of metal mining and things Mm. so it's there's a huge questions in candle making about what's right and what's not and i think it's up to the candle maker and it's up to the buyer the consumer to make these decisions and to really look into it yeah we have I have so the final question. I'll finish these ones up and then we can Mm -hmm. get to our questions of the google search thing uh, was what are candles used for and I guess, yeah, anything really. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Would you, what would you say? Oh, well, I think nowadays in, in modern times, candles are used as a decorative item a lot of the time. Mm. Yeah. Um, you get a lot of uh, kind of aesthetic candles, which mm. can be like a figure of a lady or a man, sculpted candles, pillar candles, or you can get the ones like we do, which, you know, show you a different side of candle making of kind of theme i suppose um but candles essentially in basic terms are made for illumination yeah yeah i'm really curious what that what that question was about (laughs) like on this google search like i yeah (laughs) unless it was someone who really didn't know what a candle was yeah maybe maybe candles used for maybe they wanted it for some ritual purpose i'm not sure really yeah uh, there's very there's a lot of ritual candles that you can get out there that oh. are made specifically for each element oh. and in rituals and, and kind of worship as well. So there's oh. lots of different answers to that question. If we move on now and sort of yeah. talk about, about kind of candles in the past and everything, I think because when I was originally looking into candles to make the the videos I was looking and there was a lot of, because the oil lamps kind of came earlier because I guess they were mm-hmm. also for illumination and everything but actually the first so apparently there is indeed this evidence of candles in amana in like 3300 years ago but i had found that the earliest written evidence was also from the romans in 500 bc that they had these kind of tallow so rendered animal fat mm-hmm. candles with a wick in them because i guess that is different if you have a solid thing rather than the liquid then it makes a bit of a difference in, in how you can illuminate them. So I'm not sure, like, yeah, <laughs> how how solid. I did find the reference. Someone was very nice to send me the reference um, for the Egyptian uh, candles, but I still am not sure whether it was solid. Yeah, I, I found yeah. it difficult to find the reference for that candle. I couldn't find any kind of archaeological evidence to say that the Egyptians had candles um, and many candle sites who that go on about the history of candles and um, historians talk about it but i cannot find a reference or even an artifact (laughs) well this is the the thing so i found references to them but then it seemed to more imply that they were still something that was dipped in oil and then burned rather than yeah or more like more like a rush light which is kind of like a reed that you dip in oil and yeah. it would soak up the oil and then you'd light it. Yeah. Yeah. The Egyptian one was it was interesting, but it, in, in antiquity, you get right about the Romans. I had that around, some people said it was around 100 BCE. Some people said it was 500 BCE. The one that I seem to think is 500 BCE. And they did have that oil lamps and they were rolling tallow, like you said. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But you also have the early Greeks doing something similar yeah. with them. They have these cakes called moon cakes which are meant to, to be lit for the goddess Artemis during oh. ceremonies and worship, essentially. 
And then oh, they yes. put a candle on that cake and light it. And a lot of people are saying that this is where the first kind of birthday cake candle oh, comes in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's quite interesting. But the, there are oil lamps as well that were used for Saturnalia in, in Roman times and in the Greek. So it seems like people are using candles a lot, but obviously they don't survive in the archaeological record. This is the problem, right? Like it was so... I don't know if you do you know Terry Pratchett? I'm slightly obsessed with his books. <laughs> so I've, I've only read Going Postal. <laughs> oh, that's a great one though. That's the yeah. one I started with, I think. But there's okay, spoiler alert for anyone listening and for you, so apologies in advance. But basically there's this one where they're trying to solve a murder because well no, it's not even murder, but attempted murder or whatever, and Lord Veterinary, the patrician, is getting poisoned and they don't know what it is, and they're trying all these different things and they're trying to work out you know, what is possibly poisoning him because he seems like better during the day, but then in the morning again, he's all bad again and they're trying to work out what it is. And basically it's the candles, but of course, because they're burnt down, they don't, they're gone. You know, the evidence is gone by the time it goes. And it made me think like, oh God, yeah, that's so, that's so true of so many consumable things in the past as well, right? Like, like candles. So, I mean, it's, yeah. How, how, how do we see that actually in the archaeological record? Yeah, it's so difficult. It's it's very yeah. difficult. And the only thing you can really look at are the artifacts that relate to candle making or candle use. Oh. You know, so it could be a dish. You know, when you have look at oil lamps, oil lamps have the little vessel that you use yeah. to put the oil in, but they don't obviously have the piece of cotton or woven fabric that you have that runs out of the oil lamp that's consumed and used and so is the oil and only maybe remains of the oil are left so it's the same thing for candles if you try and that's the only thing that can possibly happen the only really physical evidence archaeological evidence that we have for candles are being used in prehistory is around in china in 200 bce yes yes and that's in quinchi huang's tomb which is the terracotta army tomb that people know of Oh, that must have been such a cool find. Can you imagine? I know, like, I know. Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah. I know. And it, it seems like the candles that were found in there, it, there's, the, I read a few different articles about it. Now, one of them, there was, I don't know how real this is, but they were made from whale fat, mm-hmm. the candles. So that mm-hmm. is true. But they said that when they first opened the tomb, there was still illumination going on. Uh, which sounds fantastical doesn't it i wish my candles lasted that long (laughs) (laughs) i think i would be i'd be out of the company i wouldn't have to keep using them over and over again yeah right yeah the the ultimate sustainable candle yeah Yeah, really god it hit the jackpot there (laughs) and you know you can look later on the historian sima kian he talks about this tomb and he, he tells you that lamps were filled with whale oil hmm. so that they might have the longest possible burn time, which is quite oh. interesting. But then again, he's talking about lamps rather than yeah, candles the themselves. Yeah. But there were artifacts found in the tomb that had kind of like a picket, which is the place where you'd put a pillar candle on top and you'd secure it, press oh, it down okay. onto the yeah. So they did have, the hollows inside of them did have whale wax we'll call it in them so that's the first archaeological evidence that we actually have um, of candles which is still pretty impressive because that was what 200 bc so i mean Mm -hmm. still just over two thousand years ago which is kind of yeah amazing to think that i mean has the the design, I guess, hasn't really changed that much. I mean, like you say, they have the sort of decorative ones now as well, where you have like it in sculpted forms and stuff. But in general, considering how much a lot of things have changed, even in the last hundred years or, you know, since the Industrial Revolution, I mean, actually candles themselves are still pretty similar to in prehistory then. It seems like, like yeah, yeah, they're very similar. I mean, you still have to have a vessel. So that could be nowadays, it could be glass or tin. Even mm. ceramic sometimes. Yeah. You know, people in prehistory seem to have used ceramic. So they don't change that much. I think their function changes over time, though. And maybe True. what the candle means. You know, it could just be an illumination or it could be conspicuous consumption, you know, as in this tomb here. It, the massive artifacts that are found in that tomb tell you a lot about the emperor, that he is very much wealthy and that he has a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he has a lot of candles and a lot of art here and a lot of horses and, and things. Yeah. So he's using it a lot. And candles will have been used frequently 
during that period. It, it seems like it anyway. Yeah. I think the intention and the use of candles changes over time yeah. rather than the shape of them. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I guess the materials as well, because originally it would have been that this tallow and I had seen somewhere that beeswax was used, but it was very expensive. So actually it was only used by indeed wealthy people or for churches or something like that. And then now you have soy you mentioned as well. So. Yeah, soy gets introduced much later, but yeah, the, the change comes in. So so basically you have people using things like rush lights, mm-hmm. whale fat, it's often animal fat. The tallow that you're talking about, Romans start using tallow and processed animal fat to create these candles. But you also get people boiling cinnamon in India for temple candles oh, wow. to make a wax. Yeah. And interestingly enough, in there's there's a, can, a fish that they call a candle fish that's used a lot in indigenous tribes in North America mm-hmm. to and th- which is literally you put this dry this fish out pop it on a stick and light it and it will burn for a long time because of the oil wow. inside this fish yeah so there's quite a lot of ways people have used illumination or have tried to create illumination in different means and um, and yeah. things like that in the Middle Ages though you do get the tallow being used quite often Mm -hmm. and that's often attributed to the decline of the roman empire Mm. so you don't have oil olive oil as Mm. coming into europe as often as it should or did Um, (laughs) so that means that you get a rise in processed animal fat candles Mm -hmm. which tallow but tallow smells really bad i Um, I was just thinking i mean gosh i did some experiments where because i do a lot of experimental archaeology and I needed to use mm-hmm. seal skin um, for something. And I mean, luckily, if you can call it luckily, so I was in contact with a, a seal sanctuary in the north of the Netherlands and they had had one of their animals who had unfortunately died of natural causes. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, you know, if you need any materials from them, like you're welcome to take them for, you know, scientific purposes. So I went and I got skins and the bones and all sorts of things. And I had to scrape the skin, um, so scrape the fat off Oof. the skin in order to, you know, sort of process it. And oh my God. God, <laughs> the, the smell. And then I was cooking, not cooking because I wasn't planning to eat it, but like basically I had to, I was trying to boil it down to get the meat out so that I could just have it as kind of solid fat because I was giving that to another friend who was doing experiments with um, residue analysis and looking at whether you could mm-hmm. see fat on the inside of pots and stuff. And yeah, the smell, like, oh, and yeah. So just the imagine, imagining the candle, a candle made from that. Yeah, be, it was apparently awful yeah. because they're made from sheep and cows, uh, predominantly the, uh, the fat. Yeah. And uh, actually, you know, strangely enough, in the, in the 13th century, in the medieval period, candles, the production of tallow candles was banned from cities because really? it smelled so bad. Oh, yeah. wow. In many European cities, it was banned. <laughs> They didn't have the scented candles, you know, eucalyptus and lavender. Don't yeah. <laughs> <So> have <laughs> scent. No, yeah, don't have that at all. So it would be very, very difficult. And imagine having that in your house as well, you know. Yeah. Uh, that, so that's why a lot of the time when you're using tallow, or even beeswax, like you're talking about before, it's usually um, in churches um, yeah. that people seem to use candles like that. Mm, I suppose, yeah, especially if you have big groups of people inside and then, yeah, you don't want to smell mm-hmm. it. Uh, yeah. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I'm curious. So, I mean, we talked briefly about the fact that the original candles found in China, so the Emperor mm-hmm. Jin Shi Huang, and the fact that, you know, it's, it's seen as almost a sign of, oh, you can afford all these different candles and everything. But I guess when you think of archaeological objects, like if, for example, you think of that emperor's tomb, the first thing that springs to mind is not, oh, wow, and he had the coolest collection of candles. You know, like there's <laughs> there's some other objects that are yeah. weirdly give priority. And I guess that sort of happens a lot in archaeology, I guess going back from the start, but that you have, you know, all the kind of, shall we say, the sexy objects um, are kind of given more importance. And then things like candles or other almost the forgotten parts, also other consumables, I suppose, are uh, left behind but I mean why uh, as a candle candle person yourself I mean why would you say it's important to look at these more forgotten objects well I think that they're everyday aren't they as archaeologists yeah. we don't look at the fantastic stuff every day mm-hmm. we look at the every the the very normal bog standard yeah. <laughs> objects you know pots and vessels and things that people would use day-to-day and day-to-day life and I think mm-hmm. candles are they tell you a lot about a society. 
So for, there is no evidence for this at all. But you'd think that during the Neolithic, if people are farming and they're farming crops, they might have used being able to farm something, not necessarily soy, but something that could help them illuminate. People search for illumination in human history since the very beginning. You know, mm. there's many myths about hearths and how important the hearth is. A candle is just a small hearth, really. Yeah. It's brought in as a ceremonial thing. It's brought in to illuminate the darkness, to scare away the darkness. Candles are very, very important in human history because, well, they just are. I mean, yeah. people use them all the time now. It's not a big leap to think that people would have used them in the past or used fire in some way to have a longer longevity of that fire, of that uh, illumination. Mm. You know, people would have used candles for timing things as well. If people can build stuff that calculates, you know, solstice and winter solstice, (laughs) then they can definitely make a candle that tells them when the daylight is dropping or, or when night is coming and how long that night has been around for. That's my theory anyway, but there's no actual archaeology archaeological evidence to support that theory um, yet unfortunately i mean that's the thing right i've noticed that so much with other things as well for example i've just i've recently had a baby and when you then are having to for example breastfeed and do all these different things Mm -hmm. and you know and then i was looking at some point it came up a, a paper about neolithic clothing for example and i was looking at it going that would be impossible to breastfeed it like you wouldn't be able to and it's so funny that when you think of Yes, for example, something like candles, you know, and it's like you say, you're always, it's always assumed that they had some ritual purpose or they were really fancy. And it's one of those, actually, you know, why couldn't they have just been used for the everyday? Like, why could things, little everyday issues that people have nowadays mm-hmm. aren't new necessarily? Yeah, I think we are detached from the, that sort of need for fire yeah. because we have electricity, we have lights all the time, we have street lights, you know. Yeah. Um, we are constantly illuminated in our world, especially if you live in the West. I mean, your TV illuminates a room. Yeah. But yeah. back in, in prehistory, the light would have been really important. I mean, yeah. the, life didn't just stop because it got dark. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think yeah. people, we, because we don't have this evidence, even for things like rush lights or anything like that yet, then it's very difficult to know what people were doing. And therefore, yeah. as archaeologists, we always put it down to ritual, <laughs> which is never, it's the not good old necessarily, word. <laughs> yeah, it's not necessarily the right um, interpretation. And I think it would be kind of not, well, potentially silly to assume that people weren't using fire in a different way other than the hearse, that, that yeah. central sort of hearth or hearse that you yeah. get, that was just pretty much a prevalent thing throughout prehistory i mean the amount of hearths i've dug (laughs) (laughs) true Um, yes yeah but you know i think people would have moved around and and also think of the waste that you'd have if you had a torch so if you had a piece of woven fiber you've just spent all that time weaving some fiber you're going to wrap it around a torch and then light it on fire i don't (laughs) i don't know about that you know so that's my theory anyway yeah yeah no no i think it's a good point and uh yeah i mean i guess like you say the problem is that it's one of those things that you don't necessarily have evidence for and i mean the problem Mm. with archaeology is it's a lot of hypothesis but at the end of the day you can't really for example publish anything or make big assumptions about things without being able to back yourself up oh yeah completely and that's a legitimate thing like it's there's a reason why people aren't going around saying the neolithic had candles (laughs) (laughs) we are now it's here on the podcast (laughs) everyone who's listening is like oh yes i heard it on the podcast the neolithic had candles (laughs) Um, maybe not candles in the way that we see them today but some sort of form of of light i think transferable light would have been pretty i think easy to make yeah well, and that's, you know, that's again, one of the reasons why I love archaeology is that you have, you know, it's all about trying to think, imagine yourself a little bit back there. I mean, that's why, you know, we're doing this time travel thing as well. Like it's all about mm-hmm. sort of pretending to time travel a bit, imagining yourself in that situation. And obviously it's difficult because we're so kind of wrapped up in our own modern time period and, you know, our own experiences. But I think mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it, there's, there's a lot of things that are not 
necessarily that different that we, you know, we have to deal with like darkness, <laughs> you know, there would have, it was the same darkness back then, like you say. Yeah, um, exactly. And you only have to go to somewhere that's a little bit more remote to realize, oh my God, I can't see a thing. Yeah. <laughs> a torch would be really handy right now, yeah. um, you know, and I think you're right. When you, when you start to experience things more like with you, when you had your baby and you're breastfeeding, you're looking at clothing, you're like, that just doesn't feel entirely correct. How on earth would you get your boob out? <laughs> like, yeah, right? you know? like, how is that going to happen? The same thing applies for many stuff. Like that's the practical thinking brain, which is yeah. a good thing to have in archaeology because you go, well, why would you do that when you could do this? Or yeah, yeah. yeah. it makes you think. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, oh, fun times, fun times. Don't do that archaeology. I mean, that's why we're here, right? That's why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. There's a lot, a lot we could say, I guess, about candles, mm -hmm. but I did want to also talk a bit. So we, we did already introduce you a little bit in the first sort of section of this episode, but maybe, you know, we could go into a bit more detail. So we already mentioned Ashwood candles briefly mm -hmm. and sort of how you got into it. But, and I mean, candles, for example, I know that you also do uh, the wax melts. I mean, is there, was there anything in particular about candles that struck you as something rather than, I mean, you said that you had done pots, for example, as your thesis topic, were you never tempted to go in that direction? <laughs> I was, I was definitely. I think I always just want to make things. I think that's why I specialized in artifacts is the making process of something, something of creating something. It's good for the soul, one, um, right. but it also connects you back to people who have done it in the past. You know, candle making became a very big thing in the medieval period. Right. And it was much needed. And, you know, chandlers uh, were, that's the name for a candle maker. Or mm. sometimes they also made soaps and cheeses oh. and loads of different things, actually. That's, that's <laughs> what I say. It's a very random assortment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> someone one day a very weird set of skills and was like, I'm going to call myself a chandler now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, a chandler. So, they, yeah, I've got it here, actually. They, they made sauces, vinegar, soap, and uh -oh. candles and cheese. So that, that was that uh, kind of... You don't want to get your ingredients mixed up, would you? <laughs> no. Oh my Something gosh, just a no. bit off about this cheese. <laughs> yeah, it's just a big bar of soap. <laughs> yeah, it would be very difficult. But, you know, and, and that became a guild. And if mm -hmm. it's a craft that people still use today, traditional craft is a really important thing to keep up. Mine is not as traditional as it could be, definitely. I buy my wicks in. I don't make them myself. I don't dip my candles because I don't make pillar candles yet but i was about to say would you is that something you would want to do do more kind of archaeologically authentic or whatever you would call it candles? Oh, i would absolutely love to do that yeah i would love to to kind of get into that and how they used to do it maybe not use tallow <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might be kicked out of your house i guess yeah i don't think my partner would be very happy with that but um and i don't really fancy you know going through that whole mm, process yes. beforehand but i would love to go and you know show people how traditional candles might have been made yeah I think that would be something really, really interested in. For me, though, I'm, I'm an artifact person. Candles have a special part for me because well, I always have a candle if I want to relax, put a candle on if I want to write, I put a candle on. It's kind of a habit for me. They are, mm. and especially when you get a good scent. Scented candles are a big thing now. Huh. What's and your favourite scent? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I definitely think it's my Cranog candle. Oh, there's yeah i'm kind of landlocked in glasgow so it's um driftwood and sea mm. and um rock salt so it just makes me think of beaches and waters and bodies of water and stuff and that's, yeah. that's anyway sorry i interrupted you uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no for the the melts and stuff i think it's way of me for me to actually make artifacts as well. yeah yeah uh, so i make a, like a venus of willendorf is one of my wax melts mm. the westria <laughs> wife and I do rock art ones too, so snap bars, which have yes, so pictures cool. of different uh, petroglyphs and different types of cup and ring marks from across Scotland and Europe. <laughs> and that's me connecting in a way to archaeology that maybe I couldn't have done before when I was in commercial hmm. and really getting to know the maker of that 
that artifact. Like I was, I was sculpting an, a Venus the other day because I make the Venus itself and then I create it into a mold for the wax. Okay. Which material do you use to sculpt it? I make a clay. I wouldn't go okay. for the whole stone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry to try, but yeah, I need like a, uh-huh. a month or so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I think it's interesting when you make, they're really easy to make and very natural. And so it made, when I was, re- and I researched the, the artifact that I make as well into candle or a wax melt form. I love that. Yes. I love your little info uh, slips with the, that come with everything. Yeah. And that's what I want people to experience with these candles. I want them to connect to the past in a way that maybe you can't because sometimes it's not as accessible to get to a museum right. or it's not accessible because it's, you know, not on display yeah so i want people to be able to handle these artifacts even if it's in wax form yeah and see the cracks and the crevices that i try and put in and hold that that artifact in their hand and for me it's all about accessibility yeah no it's really i have to say you're i had a couple of venus of willendorf ones and it's so hard because i don't have a big enough like wax melt thing you know you have to chop them up to fit them with the little wax melt and I I never want to chop them up because they're just so beautiful <laughs> it's like I'll just leave them there for a while <laughs> I know I know <laughs> I, I sort of sometimes take a bit of a relish though just snapping a head off a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. But, <laughs> I'll save it for a day when I'm angry <laughs> yeah it's, it's a good time it's a good time she's not going to be mad at you you know <laughs> and I like that you do indeed use archaeology as like the main inspiration because I think that I don't know it's a subject that I mean this is why I'm doing what I'm doing as well I think it's a subject that a lot of people don't really know much about so it's really great and that's why I really like that you do these little info you know papers um with Mm -hmm. with all of your objects but uh, do you get a lot of people who like get a lot of feedback from people who maybe didn't know about the archaeology but are interested in candles and then they come back to you with feedback about the archaeology or a little bit. Sometimes people are, are interested and they like, why why would you but most of the time it's like, why would you choose archaeology? That's so <laughs> such a strange thing. I think people get more interested and you know, there's many people that sell wax melts. There's many people that sell candles. For me, when I started this business, I didn't want to let go of my archaeology. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't want to let go like- <laughs> Yeah, I just, just like I just can't let go of it. You know, I was no longer in commercial, I wasn't out there doing it every day. I felt like I wasn't really connecting to that past. And I feel like we have a story to tell. I think archaeology is a story. It's just different types of stories, different interpretations of the same story. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to try and tell people that story and mm-hmm. um, over and over and over again if they need to. Yeah. Because they, they connect us. We're human, you know, uh, even yeah. if we're very dist- in the very distant past. There's still, there's something about, for example, the Venus, Venus, the Venus figurines, especially I think Venus of Willendorf that people look at and go, oh gosh, she looks a lot like me, especially, you know, she looks a lot like me. And to see that type of body type, um, I've had people come up in fairs and go, why is there a naked lady on your (laughs) table? You <laughs> um, go. Why doesn't your store have a naked lady? Like <laughs> every is the store, yeah. To ask. <laughs> every store should have a naked lady. But you know, and and, and then I go. Well, uh, this is the Venus of Willendorf. Have you heard about her? Uh, do you know who she is? And they go, no, but I've seen, I've seen her. Hold down your PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> yeah, settle down. You have a me at a market is literally just me talking about archaeology, and I'm like, do you want to kind of buy a candle as well? Um, <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah, and and people start to go, oh, that's that's actually quite interesting, and and there's something that's imperfect about it. And in this society today, where we value our bodies so highly, and we put so much strain on ourselves to have the perfect mm-hmm. type of body, I think connecting to the past, where maybe it was a different way of thinking, yeah, really does yeah. help. And I think when you interact with different sites as well, it starts to show you that the way that we do things now isn't maybe how we should be doing them yeah. or there is an alternative way yeah especially if the way we're doing things is not necessarily working and the reason for carrying on is oh but it's always been this way you can then indeed pull down your powerpoint slide and say actually <laughs> yeah no exactly and i think that's something that's really important to me with these candles you know i want to give you an experience of visiting these sites yeah. Um, you know, I try and really put you in the site 
and by the scent, the smells. And our scent is a really, really powerful mm. feature that we have. We use our scents as memory. It's very much collective memory. Mm. I think a lot of people, if you say, what's your favorite memory? They'll probably add a scent in there too. Mm. Yeah, or true. what does that scent remind you of? Or they'll know immediately. If they yeah. have a story that connects with it. Yeah. So it, it, I think they're very important. And I think they're a really good, accessible way to reach out to people about archaeology. Yeah. That isn't too complex. That doesn't require them to put a lot of time and effort into study. Yes, true. Yeah. And that they can experience for the 30 hours that that candle's burning. <laughs> 30 hours? Okay. Good to know. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I like as well, like indeed that you mentioned scent. I mean, that's another thing. We were talking earlier about the fact that candles are consumable, so therefore they're not really left in the archaeological record. And I mean, scents mm. are also something that you don't, well, <laughs> although. As an Arctic archaeologist, <laughs> digging up a midden that's been sitting in permafrost for a couple of thousand years, like the preservation yeah. is very good, including the smell. <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes yeah. you, you do get the smell of the past. It's not always that nice. But, um, but yeah, general, I don't use those scents. <laughs> no, <laughs> if you would release that kind of one, I'm not sure how well it would smell. <laughs> no. Well it would smell. Yeah, the, but it is interesting indeed that the, like, the, the scent of the past is, is something that, you know, again, something like your candles. I mean, that's the closest we can get, I think, to that. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's a bit of, you know, phenomenologically, yeah, you can say that, that, that word. Yeah. I don't think anyone <laughs> can say that word. Phenomenology. You know, all that Ian Hodder stuff. Yes, that one. That one. <laughs> yeah. Him. He's pretty good at it. Um, but, I, you know, you kind of go back in the past and you imagine. And it's not it's not perfect, but I think that's the way archaeology is moving at the moment. We're moving away from the processional. We're going into that post post processional where people are more engaging with the past in a different way really understanding the past through a human experience yeah and i think that for me that's how i would like to see the past that's how if i ever had people on site that's how i'd try and tell them and teach them how to see the past you know yeah, yeah. you're digging this little tiny postal but this postal was something bigger and yes. it was important yeah. you know yeah. as much as it's like truncated and pretty boring now it was important to someone once upon a time and they put you know a lot of effort into digging that tiny post hole yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. so yeah <laughs> stuff like that i think i think we really need to see it as a more human experience and i think with the pandemic and everything we're losing we've lost that sort of connection mm. sometimes i think we were so isolated for a very mm. very long time a lot of people we lost a lot of people and yeah. even now it's not not as great as it should yeah. be but we should connect to one another and that's what i think even if it's we look back into the past and connect with people in the past that's what we should be doing we should be connecting with one another so that's my little thing about the candles and that's why i try <laughs> and i put everything into that you know i put it all into one candle and yeah. it's kind of like a candle if i see a candle is like a little mini hearth that you move yeah. around it's it's a flame from my hearth to your hearth. It's as cheesy oh, as that sounds. That's, that's lovely. That's so nice. <laughs> oh, I'm getting all emotional now. That's <laughs> really sweet. No, I think that's really nice. Like, it's a, definitely a really nice sentiment, especially also about why archaeology is important, why candles are important. I think that's, yeah, that's really nice. Thank you for that. Um, You're <laughs> So final little point. So uh, because, of course, you are, as we've mentioned, a small business owner mm -hmm. with uh, Ashwood Candles being your little business, what would you say is the biggest difficulty you face as a small business owner? And what's the most exciting thing that's happened uh, with Ashwood Candles? Oh, okay. The biggest difficulty is probably just balancing absolutely everything. Mm. I work every day, all day, and it's hard. It can be hard on your mental health. And it, and it also is I think the biggest takeaway I've had is to keep the faith, just keep going with it and mm. believe in yourself. Imposter syndrome is rife, I think, oh, in a I lot of different ways. Yeah. yeah. I think for everyone, get everyone gets it. Everyone gets an imposter yeah. syndrome. We think, oh, I can't do I can't do this. I can't do this. And it can be very bleak sometimes when you're a small business because you do put your whole self into it because it's yeah. your baby, you know, it's it's you. You're putting yourself out there. <laughs> You're going, yeah. This is my product that I've made with my two hands. Do you like it? And some people go, No. And you go, Okay. Oh, yeah. I suppose you don't need to like it, but you really want everyone to like it. Yeah. 
So I think keep keeping at it, trusting the process is the most difficult thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I imagine. Trusting the process is the most difficult thing. I think that's just for every single person out there. Yeah. It's for something that they feel passionate about and they want to do it, but they're doubting themselves over and over and over again. And those little, what I call blurts, those little thoughts that pop into your head. Oh, yes. It's like, oh, you can't do this. You're, no. This is impossible. Why are you doing this? You shouldn't be like this. <laughs> don't listen to them. Acknowledge them. Okay, <laughs> thanks for that. But don't listen to them too much. They're yeah. a tiny truth with a tiny T and follow the big T, which is your <sighs> real truth. I've done a lot of therapy. Can you tell? And this is, I mean, I'm making notes here. <laughs> this is excellent. <laughs> no, I think you're completely right. And I mean, not just for small businesses, like you say, but for everything that you do. I think everyone has that, especially if you're trying to pursue something that you really care about. Yeah. That, you know, mm-hmm. in any way, I think it's, it's, yeah, because I think a lot of the time, especially now with the whole, you know, capitalism, everything um, where, you know, you sort of, you're earning mm-hmm. money in your work. That's the kind of yeah. main purpose. But so that as soon as your work becomes something that you also are putting your heart and soul into, it's, it's, yeah, easy. I can, I mean, I did it for a little while with the uh, jewelry making and it was just, yeah, like you say, you, you know, you, you love what you make and then you give it to someone on offer and they sort of go, oh yeah, nice. And then walk off and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Totally, totally. I know you get that all the time. Any kind of market you go to, there will be someone who goes, oh, that's nice, but not for that much. And you're like, yeah. oh, my whole soul into that. Uh, yes, and you're like, yeah. oh, no, please don't take it. Take it. Take it. Love it. It's yeah. nice for you, you know. Yeah. Which, have you seen that song, which is like, it costs that much because it takes, it takes me fucking hours. <laughs> yes, I have. I have. I've, I've resisted using it as a reel on Instagram for so long. But I think it's I might have to yeah it does it takes you a lot and you know for me it's just putting everything all my knowledge all my eight years of archaeology goes into one candle yeah Uh, uh, uh. and it's amazing how many transferable skills you have in archaeology that you don't even realize that you had beforehand yeah no way if you told me like three years ago oh ashley by the way you're going to be a candle maker i think what are you talking about i was an academic i was so confused you know, so uh, yeah. it's very different. It's a whole yeah. different ballpark, but you can still do what you love in a different format. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And for, for the biggest thing, I think, for us is, was definitely getting our first supplier. That was, yeah, the Cranog Centre. As much as the British Museum is amazing, and that was such an honour in the British Museum to be part of that and to be continuing to be part of that. Yeah. When the Cranog Centre reached out, I cried. No, that must have been amazing. Um, which do you, do you have any plans to, uh, what are your plans for the future with Ashford Candles? Are you going to try and expand out to other retailers or yeah, what are your plans? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, I'm going to try it's um, wholesale season at the moment. So people are ramping up for summer uh-huh. since, mm-hmm. you know, COVID restrictions are quite low at the moment. Then it means that people are buying more. Um, so I've already reached out to a few other suppliers and I would absolutely love to work with. So fingers crossed it goes well. Um, I'd like to make more candles and uh, expand the site. My website, I mean, not, not Honestly, that would be the dream. If I could somehow fund and help excavations, I would absolutely love to do that. That's so, one of our big goals is to, to start putting money into community and support just yeah it'd be amazing but yeah just you know expand the the ranges into different types of eras and types of artifacts and things so you know i'm toying with like a pictish one or like a viking um but i just need to get the right sense i think um and i don't want them to be bad smells you know i want them to be nice smells yeah 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 yeah. no nice that's yeah oh exciting well i think uh that probably marks the end of our tea break probably time to get back to work um but uh, thank you so much for joining me today ash it was really nice to chat to you it was lovely to chat to you too yeah it's nice it was so so fun We've, we've known each other for a while now through Instagram, but yeah. I don't think we've ever actually talked in person. No, so I know. I know. I was thinking that, actually. I was like, I know exactly what you sound like and everything, but that's because of Instagram. <laughs> <laughs>
I could recognise him on the street, but like it was, yeah, it's yeah. all digital, all all the fake, all fake, but not really. But uh, no, it was really, really nice to talk to you. Uh, in, well, in person, online, but still. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, if anyone wants to find out more about Ashwood Candles or about the history of candles, you can check the show notes on the podcast homepage. I hope that you all enjoyed our journey into the past today. See you next month for another episode of Tea Break Times. I hope that you enjoyed our journey today. If you did, make sure to like, follow, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll see you next month for another episode of Tea Break Time Travel. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.